I often tell people that research is about holding space for people's lived experiences. And like on one end, there is the rigorous, like, what's the method? What are the questions? How are we doing this? And then there's also the continuous interviews, passive research, insights. You are a real researcher. <laughs> I think everyone is a re researcher in some way. This is Aaron May. I'm John Henry Forster, and this is Awkward. Silence. Silences. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Awkward Silences. Today, we're here with our very own Roberta Dombrowski, our first ever VP of user research. She's been with us about six months, and it's crazy we haven't gotten her on the show yet, but here we are. Roberta, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Got JH here, too. Yeah, Roberta, you've always were telling us that like you've been a longtime listener and a big fan and stuff, and it sort of felt like pleasantries, like you know, making friends with the new people. And then we got the Spotify rap stuff, and Roberta's know, got receipts. She's a she's a real listener. Yeah, <laughs> she uh, yeah went all in <laughs> a few hundred hours. Yeah, it's like the uh, the uh, the first time long time thing people do on radio shows, like long time listener, first time caller, or whatever. So oh, yeah, yeah, it's exciting. I'm glad we're glad we're doing it. It definitely circles back to the whole meta of the entire role and being on the team a little bit more. So. <laughs> mm hmm. Mm hmm. Well, thanks for joining us. So today we're going to talk about building a user research team at a user research company, which is maybe not exactly what anyone listening is doing, but uh, certainly has all sorts of juicy meta stuff, but hopefully some applications to other folks when you, you know, come into a company and are really building a practice from scratch. So Roberta, let's just start from, you know, kind of an open-ended, how's it going? Six months in, not stopping from the beginning, we'll start in medias rest, right where we are. <laughs> how's it going so far right now? It's good. I have days where I'm just like, I have the best job in the world. I get to talk to researchers every day about a research product. As a researcher, every day is different. So it's like the Wild West. I still can't believe it's been six months, honestly. Some days it feels like it's only been like two months. Some days it feels like it's been a whole year. So I'm like, I don't know if that's COVID, losing track of time. But yeah, it's a lot of fun. And I would say that like building the research practice from scratch is not for like this faint of heart at all. There's a lot of challenges that definitely come along with it. But for people like me, it's very energizing. It's exciting. I'm curious, as somebody who was pretty familiar with user interviews ahead of joining the team, you probably had some preconceptions about what it would be like coming in and stuff. Like what has lined up with maybe your read on things and what's been different? Yeah, it's interesting because I was aware of the user interviews brands, like all the free forever plans that we do, the promos. I was a reader of the blog. I saw the field guide. I listened to the podcast, but I had actually never used the product before. It was, I was so excited to get in. And I think the most jarring thing for me, like first day, I'm used to being a solo researcher on a team. So usually you do a lot of buy-in with your teammates, tell them why research is important, why it's valuable. Here's the impact that I can have. And I didn't need to do that. <laughs> like the team already loved research. We know about research. It's a research product and I could just do my job which was like very new for me. I could just, oh, I can do research and get started and like kind of cut off all, all the other stuff. So that was something that was definitely jarring for me. Um, getting in the product for the first time, like I had 
almost around it before, but never like got into it, setting up a, a project before on user interviews. There's so much, like with any product or service, there's so many different layers involved and nuances, which JH likes to remind me, I'm sure. It's <laughs> like, you're me. telling me. <laughs> yeah. He talks a lot about Easter eggs being in there. Uh-huh. There's some so, old code in there still. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's going to take me a while to find all of that out. But yeah, those are cool. some of the things that have like stood out for sure. Yeah. It, you know, the advice you hear a lot with, you know, kind of careers and choosing where you want to work as a UX researcher is, you know, if you can go somewhere where people believe in research, it's mm-hmm. probably going to make your job easier. I'm sure there are people who uh, embrace the challenge of you know, maybe they've been brought in to be a change agent or, you know, someone here believes in this, but the company's not bought in yet or whatever it might be. But glad to hear that's been your experience as opposed, you know, to the opposite. Yeah. Glad yeah. We're trying to put our money where our mouth is. Yeah. Somewhat, yeah. And the change in, in user interviews is different, right? It's the team already has a level of maturity because when I joined product managers, designers were doing research. So it's pretty democratized already. And so I'm coming in, the team's pretty mature, but it's how can we take it to the next level when it comes to research? How can we introduce different methods? How can we actually centralize what we know? Because everyone's out there doing research. That's probably one of like the biggest challenges. And it's different. It's a different challenge than I've encountered before. So definitely going to be learning a lot as we head into the new year. Yeah, I was just going to say, I don't think democratization was our problem. (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) Whatever democ- democracy is extreme, whatever that is, is what we had. But uh, yeah, what were you going to say, JH? I was going to say, one thing we've heard some other guests on the show bring up is when you are in a role where you need to get buy-in and do some change management and stuff, a really effective approach can be doing like stakeholder interviews. We understand what motivates them, you know, where they have concerns or fears and things like that so that you can then go be effective in, a, you know, actualizing that change. Um, since you came to an environment that was more supportive of research kind of off the jump, did you still find like a need to do stakeholder interviews to like get that fluency and stuff? Or was that something you didn't do? I'm just curious how that affected things. Definitely did it. One of the first conversations that I had with Basil, who's the CEO of the team, is I told him that I wanted to do the stakeholder interviews, that I needed time to just understand what's the current state of research on the team. And he was just like, yeah, go for it. Like, yeah, absolutely. How can you do your job if you don't know all of like the history behind things? So I ended up doing a research study around what is research like on the team. I looked at like our historical research that was done. I spoke to stakeholders. There's probably like 50 people I talked to within four weeks. That's the majority of the company for <laughs> yeah, those we're listening. 85, right. <laughs> and that really is, it allows me to, to dig into like, what are the pain points? What are your hopes and dreams when it comes to research? What do you, what is the current state? What's preventing you from like, doing your role and delivering value to our customers. And I got to just understand what mattered to people and build relationships, which is, I'm so glad I took the time during the first few weeks. Cause once you dive in, you don't get that time back yeah. really. So. And what did you learn other than <laughs> like research is happening? People believe in research, but like what's going well, where did we have needs and how yeah. did you start to, how'd you start to figure out how you were going to make an impact? Yeah, I did. I took some time after I did all the research and what's working well is people are doing research, right? It's happening. I'm a researcher, so I always look at like, what's the opportunities? What do I need to do better? And so I focus a lot on that is 
we need some new methods. We need enablement and education when it comes to research. We need to centralize what we're learning. And then there's also like, that's what's internally what needs to happen. But there's also the strategic project work that research is now starting to work on and hopefully helping to guide some decisions for the product and just the company as a whole too. There's just a lot of opportunity. Um, I invested because of what I learned, I actually decided to build a research ops first practice because there's so many people doing research. We really need to build like that infrastructure so that we can continue to scale as the business scales too. Yeah, I know like Kate Towsey at Atlassian would say, you know, once you hit like seven or eight kind of researchers, then you need like a research ops person sort of like per seven or eight. But if you figure everyone, like these people who do research are doing X percent of their, you know, we're at that eight already, right? In terms mm-hmm. of just the amount of research that's happening. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And with it too comes prioritizing the projects that are being worked on. What work is the research team actually leading versus enabling and supporting? And that, like we're going through 2022 planning right now on the leadership level and dealing with that and trying to create a way of working and prioritizing. And I know you've done a lot of reflection on your time here. We have some blog posts and some other stuff there. I'm curious, you know, if you could go back to the beginning and and kind of run through this again, anything you'd do differently or, or lessons learned? Yeah, that's a good question. (laughs) I think like I did take time during my first month to do my study, but and like talk to people, I think I would have spent more time looking at historical research and knowing what exactly is out there because there was a whole team research at UI that was doing like projects for a year and a half and there's so many insights there and I, I need that. I need all of that knowledge now. I think that's one of the biggest things. And then I went pretty deep into one research project within my first month and a half. I think you always, as a first researcher, when you're working on a project, want to do really well and like drive value and impact. I think I would have taken a little bit more time with like the methods and pulling apart the sequencing of the questions for that. Cause we tried to boil the ocean in our (laughs) first project and we're revisiting, we're going back and answering questions now, but. I think my approach would have been a little bit different there. Nice. And it feels like, I mean, an unavoidable thing to, of course, you're going to learn lessons from doing. And that's part of, right, you said part of what's going well is we're just doing the research. You don't learn how to improve until you get out there and start doing stuff. Yeah, for sure. Because you can create the perfect research plan, which... When I crafted the plan, I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. We learned so much along the way. And that's part of learning and research too. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, we learned about the state of our, just how we recruit people. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about the type of data that we have and how we can target and segment people. So all of those things will be used as we head into the new year and focus on new studies too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a met, the meta point there is like, I feel like bringing it up to the product team a lot of like, we can only mitigate risk so far, right? Like at some point, you know, it's prep stuff and discovery and research stuff, but like at some point you got to do the thing and, and see if it goes the way that you were hoping or, or iterate and learn from it. And I think what you're describing with like the research plan itself is kind of the same way of like, you can do a lot of upfront work that's like worth doing and, and very valuable, but at some point you got to get into the doing of it to realize where maybe it needs some adjustment or, or course correction. I, I'm curious on the other end of the spectrum, like what do you think has gone well? Like where do you think some of the biggest wins have been from adding research to the team in like a formal way? Yeah, 
it's really fun. I, it's something I do. I've battled with like imposter syndrome as a researcher of one for so long. So I actually have a kudos folder on my computer where I like take screenshots and it's been filling up with, I see Slack messages of like our product managers talking about like how they deliver the insights after they come off of an interview. They're using templates and like resources that we've been creating. And they're like, oh, I learned this from Roberta. And that's all like behind the scenes. That's qualitative feedback that I'm getting from the group. That's really exciting to see. That's working well. I think on like a leadership level too, the project that I just described, it was pretty meaty. Seeing, delivering the insights, we had our offsite, our company offsite. And then the same week, JH is like presenting the product strategy. Basil is presenting the company strategy. That is very unique. I've never been in an environment that you do a study and it's immediately filtering into the direction of the company. And that's more than I honestly could have asked for in a new role. I think any researcher can ask for. <laughs> um, and those are like, I try to do a lot of reflection, like once a month, be like, check in with myself. I don't want to take those for granted because it's such a special environment that we're in to see all of those amazing things happening. And I think the point about just getting the positive feedback from the PMs of it changing their practice so that they can get more impact from the research they're doing is, you know, we'd call that a growth multiplier, right? And it's also in line with what you've set out to do. Like this research is already happening. How can I make that research better, more effective? So that's almost the best result you could yeah. see. So that's great to hear. So it's, you know, the end of the year. I don't know when we're going to publish this thing. So, you know, it's either the end of the year or the beginning of the year. Life's a circle. 2021. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's somewhere in the middle of the end of the pandemic. I don't know. Omicrons are, is that how you say it? Anyway, I think, I think so. so. That's what's up. So everyone's thinking about the year ahead, right? And planning for, for, for that, including you, Roberta. So I'm curious what you're excited about for the year ahead for 2022. Yeah, I mean... Erin, we've talked a little bit about it, but I think part of the reason I decided to join the team is to partner around thought leadership and also marketing. So we're going to be doing a lot of market research, market studies. We have some persona, like really foundational research around personas who are our customers. What's the buyer experience like? Part of the reason why research at user interviews is so exciting because you get to do UX product research, but then also market research too. So dabbling, we're going to be focusing on insights management, which is going to be a beast. JH and I have already started talking about approaches to that. Yeah. And the team's going to be growing too. That's really exciting. We have an open research role right now. We're growing the team and we're going to be learning and iterating how we're working on the team over the next few months. And I've been thinking about like org structure. Should we start to dedicate researchers to specific product teams as well as like how we're centralized too? So we have context. Um, that's all stuff that I like to nerd out about too. So yeah. I love a good work structure too. Oh yeah. I see all your diagrams all the mm -hmm. time. I love it. <laughs> it's the illusion of order. We yes. need that. <laughs> For sure. All right, a quick awkward interruption here. It's fun to talk about user research, but you know what's really fun is doing user research, and we want to help you with that. We want to help you so much that we have created a special place. It's called userinterviews.com slash awkward. 
for you to get your first three participants free. We all know we should be talking to users more, so we went ahead and removed as many barriers as possible. It's going to be easy. It's going to be quick. You're going to love it. So get over there and check it out. And then when you're done with that, go on over to your favorite podcasting app and leave us a review, please. I know one thing that you've really leaned into is making sure that the research we do is very framed around decisions we're making. I'm curious, any thoughts on how we kind of lean into that even more in the next year? Like, I know we've already started to do some of that. And into your point, we were doing it in sort of ways before, but maybe not always the most intentional or structured and, and the enablement is helped there. But yeah, how, how do we kind of continue to get better at that? Yeah, for sure. And for context, the team does use it. When I joined the team, the product team used Teresa Torres's continuous discovery habits framework. And so with that, one of the things that I wanted to do was really introduce, because research's resources are like completely strapped, I can't answer all the questions that all of our stakeholders have. So introducing this decision-driven framework where I'm, the way that I'm doing planning right now with the team is I'm asking our stakeholders questions. What questions do you have? And then once I get that out of them, I take a step back and I'm like, all right, what decision do we need to make with this? And then I'm just trying to see the frequency of questions. What has like, where do the most questions lie? And then what decisions will they inform? And then trying to prioritize things. I think for us, I've been seeing the team has been really adapting it. I've been doing like education sessions around this framework. I think one thing that we'll be expanding on is like the methods that we're using. Once you know the decision, you talk about the decision with your team too, is do we actually already have the data to inform this decision or do we need to actually go out and do research and gather the information? Because sometimes you don't, sometimes you already have it internally. So I think that tied to like insight management is going to be huge next year because we may realize we, we actually don't need to gather more right now, but yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, Roberta, you and I were talking about just to get a little when we talk to researchers, they can't always share the research they're doing for, you know, NDAs yeah, yeah, and IP yeah. and all this sort of stuff. But I work at this company, so I'll say what I want. But, you know, you and I were just kind of talking about, you're like, you know, Erin, I've noticed you have a lot of kind of segmentation questions, right? And Oof. I was kind of reflecting on that and like, is this like, you know, an Erin obsession or just kind of like where I am and what I'm thinking about like right now? And just kind of thinking about that and, you know, because with the user interviews view of the research world, it's who says it is really important to the mm -hmm. understanding of your research, right? Which is not to say some insights are more valuable than others, which they are, but like really understanding, okay, well, like what was this person's use case? You know, where do they fit into our buying journey, into our business goals? That context is so important to knowing what to do with insight and like where to put it in your head or in an insights management tool. Yeah. So I'm really excited to see how our insights management framework can push forward this vision of participant centricity um, and what that looks like. You know, I think that will be very helpful to me in my work on, you know, mm -hmm. as a marketer. And I think will uh, be very interesting just to push my own agenda. <laughs> <laughs> Always. And I think something we've been talking about, we're kind of hitting the nail right on the head is, I've seen a lot of talk in the industry, like even a few weeks ago, there was conversations about what's the difference between market research and product research and how do we define segments, personas and all these things. And we're facing that head on as we talk about insight management and how we segment our own customers. 
And even as we create like a taxonomy for atomic research, because it's a shared language that everyone in the company is going to have to be able to understand and share with each other. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to, there's so much nuance in there as we start to dig in. Yeah, because it really, it's like, how do I make better decisions and how do I make them faster? And that's what, that's the whole ball game. And whether it's with a persona or a segment or this method or that method or whatever is just an end means to the end, right? Which is not to, you know, to mitigate how difficult all of that is. That's the craft, but that's the goal. The goal is better decisions faster. For sure. Yeah, you see this come up sometimes in like uh, research or, or writing around like habits and how people like, you know, we make these cognitive shortcuts and it allows us to deal with the world because the world's so complex and overwhelming mm-hmm. if all of our senses were firing all the time, right? And Or like, and it comes up in biases and things like that as well. But I think what we're talking about with like segmentation and how you organize a taxonomy for insight management is like, if you can do those things in an explicit, intentional way, like you need those shortcuts. You need a way to yeah. like organize the world a little bit to be like, I need to know about this type of user in this type of like part of their experience or journey, because that's where like we think there's opportunity right now. And like, if you don't have some of that, it's really hard to move forward. So yeah, I think that's be huge for us and, and super excited to work on it. Yeah, and you can get overwhelmed too. Like I have moments where I'm a researcher doing research on a research product. And so like I talk to our customers all day long about their experience and I have to constantly check my bias at the door, just like, Oh, this, what they're describing and how they're doing research in their environment reminds me of my experience at this company or this. And it's constantly trying to make sense and find the patterns out of all of this data and not get overwhelmed by all of these insights too. And I think like it's cognitive load really. Um, yeah. And it can amplify. Yeah. Do you find it hard not to be almost judgy as a researcher talking to researchers being like, huh, you do research that way? Like, I wouldn't do it that way. Like, It's not so much judging. I try to be aware and I practice mindfulness a lot. So if things come up, I am just like, huh, Roberta has this thought or observation. Noted. <laughs> yeah, noted. <laughs> it's interesting now as I'm hiring though, because I talk to researchers so much about their workflow and now I'm hiring and I'm like, this is what I've noticed of the themes when we talk to customers. Here's what I'm looking for. I think I get a little bit more judgy in the hiring process. So, yeah, I and have standards. Yeah, yeah, it's a tough one, right? There's there's a really good metaphor from uh, the guy who runs uh, Shopify, Toby, where he talks about like kind of product development being sort of like jazz, where like you all need to be mm. kind of playing by these same like loose rules so that it can fit together. But it's very improvisational because we're solving these complex problems and we're iterating. Um, you should find it. It's a great, it's like, I think it's on the observer effect if people want to look it up. But it is a little bit of like when you're adding a jazz player to your ensemble, like they do have to match your style a little bit, right? Like you can't yeah. have somebody who's different, but like you need to make sure that you're not biasing in like a systematic way. But you do, like there is some style match that you need for hiring, right? And I imagine that's true in research to some degree as well. Oh, definitely. I was just on a call earlier today. And one of the things I try to probe in when I'm looking, talking to researchers, is like, how do you share your insights? How do you do the storytelling about what you're learning? And I listened for, is it a big presentation at that? Or are you continuously sharing? Because that's how we do it internally. We have Slack updates. We do bureau board sharing. And so when you get to that final presentation, it's easier to have the buy-in because everyone's been brought along the whole time. And so I listened for those little parts along the journey as a researcher is like doing their work 
whether it's in interviews or even in customer interviews too. So what have you learned about researchers talking to, how many researchers have you talked to like ballpark a hundred? <laughs> At least probably. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's a lot. Like what, and <laughs> so yeah, what have you, like, I know you talked about, we kind of over index on generative research mm-hmm. here. So we, you know, we know some things about researchers. <laughs> what, what have you learned that's maybe uh, surprised you or just reaffirmed something you already thought or yeah there's def- definite patterns that have come up I usually start off my sessions asking people about broader context outside of user interviews what's your life like what is your job as a researcher like and the biggest pain point that we hear time and time again is time mm-hmm. and bandwidth and burnout from researchers and so that's something I think about a lot what I've also seen some patterns around like enterprise companies. So researchers who do work inside of enterprises, typically they're in like a pod structure, very cross-functional teams, smaller size companies. It could be a product manager or a designer doing research. So I've been seeing just patterns like that. And then also there is the theme is each company is different and each researcher is different too. And so like it definitely varies and people's workflows are different. The state of data and how they store customer data in different companies are like vary. So yeah. That's the, that's where the segmentation comes in. That's why it's so important. <laughs> I know. Yeah. There it's, are certain commonalities though, right? I mean, I think are. when we talk about the jazz metaphor too, right? It's like, there's this baseline you're not going to fit if X, Y, and Z aren't true, mm-hmm. but like we need you to add your trombone or whatever. Like we need you to add something here yeah. too. And so I think, I don't know, researchers are like that. There's some traits that tend to span a lot of researchers, yeah. maybe not all of them. I always am amused by, I feel like every researcher I talk to is like, you're not going to believe this, but I'm an introvert. I'm like, yeah, I hear that a lot. <laughs> That's exactly what I was just thinking. And my next yeah. question for Bert yeah. is going to be like, we yeah. hear all the time that everyone we hear- Everyone's yeah. an introvert, apparently, and I was curious yeah. where you put yourself yeah. on that spectrum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We hear that a lot, which is not to say, you know, I haven't done the survey. I don't know, you know, how folks identify, but anecdotally, I hear that a ton. But anyway, there's, you know, there's a, a human curiosity. There, you know, there's like these things that yeah. researchers do have in common, but certainly there's a lot of variance in terms of, you know, especially as the field has grown and there's yeah. more room for niche and specialization. You've got your like very quanti researchers. You've got your, I specialize in diary studies. I specialize in research ops. So, you know, certainly there are uh, different kinds of researchers doing different kinds of research in different kinds of organizations. Yeah. It's like so meta because the first time I actually talked to JH wasn't in the interview process. We met a few months, like the beginning of this year, And I was describing to him this like research maturity framework I had in my head. And I was just like, oh, these qualities at these types of companies. He's like, yeah, (laughs) I'm entertaining this. Yeah, absolutely. And now it's like, what, 12 months later, seeing those. And those are like the super meta moments for me. Mm -hmm, And I'm just mm -hmm. like, oh, wow. But yeah, I'd say those curiosity traits, the introversion, all that, I have that. (laughs) And I think my self-awareness around what I'm good at when it comes to research has also shifted because I'm seeing so many trends and talking to so many other people. It's allowed me to like refine my own professional development and what I want to grow into. So that's been cool as well. I, I always feel a little uncomfortable bringing this up with guests that have brought up the introversion thing or introvert. I don't know what the right word is. And so I'll ask you since we're pals. Do you have any like, do you have any theories to posit on like why that seems to be a theme? Like, because on the surface, it's like you go out and talk to people all day. So that that seems, you know, on a surface level, kind of like yeah. an extroverted thing to do. 
But the people who seem to self-select in this profession also self-report often, you know, at whatever frequency it is, um, feeling introverted. I'm, I'm just curious if you have any ideas why that might be the case. Yeah, it's funny. So I used to work at a behavioral assessment company called the Predictive Index. And that's literally what we did. We had assessments about people's working styles. And I have a few ideas. Usually introversion relates to like the big four factor model. And so where do you der derive energy from? How do you process information? Introverts usually process information like heads down. It doesn't mean that they're, they don't ever engage with people. <laughs> it just means like, hey, I think things through deeply alone. And so I think like when you think about a researcher, you're typically observing, that's when you're out there or you might be engaging with participants, but you also need that deep work to process what you're seeing. It's funny because my mom used to call me an owl when I was a kid, which I'm like, yep, that makes sense why I'm a researcher because I observe things and then I still need to process it. And it's balancing. And I think that's why researchers don't get overwhelmed or there's so many introverts as researchers because it's balancing that. If I was alone in a room with a spreadsheet all day long, I would probably die. That doesn't <laughs> sound fun. But I balance my deep work with the, the social aspects and exploring. It's cool. also so much listening, like it's talking, yeah. but a good researcher is listening, right? Mm -hmm. Which is not necessarily something extroverts are always the best at. Nope. So, you know, <laughs> I also have a, I don't know, this isn't a theory. This is just like a counterpoint potentially. Like we do hear, we hear from the introverts, you know, a lot. Maybe there's just like an extrovert dominant culture and they don't feel the need to confess their, you know, extroversion. <laughs> like maybe That's we're true. just not yeah. hearing that. Per like, I again, I have no idea how it breaks down. It's just we hear the introvert thing. It's also like the golden age for introverts. I feel like there's books about it. Ted talks about it. It's like, come out, you know, it's okay, you know, to be an introvert these days. Yeah. One so. thing I've been balancing with my transition into research leader and being an introvert is like, I was a researcher balancing my introversion, but now adding leadership as a component is completely mm. different because mm -hmm. there's more of getting the buy-in. Mm -hmm. And I often think like, because after I met JH actually in person, I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't know how extroverted he is. <laughs> <laughs> Things have got to be so much easier for extroverted leaders. Sorry, why I wasn't listening. Not a listener. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, it gets even more important too, as you're a research researcher moving from IC to research leader to build in that deep work time as you can process things too. Yeah, the, the processing makes a lot of sense of like so much of the research is, you know, you gather all this data and then the fun part is going to connect the dots and pull these themes out and stuff. And, and I think that yeah. to your point probably does cater to certain personality or learning types or working styles. The thing you were just touching on though is a question I wanted to get into as well. Like coming from, you know, a background of doing IC research work, some management, et cetera, but then stepping into like a formal leadership position as the VP on the, I'm curious like what that's been like for you. And, you know, for other researchers hoping to make that kind of leap in their career, what are some things that they should be thinking about or, or be aware of? Yeah, I have. I had some real hesitations before taking the role, to be honest. I was questioning myself, like, am I prepared? Am I ready for this? And I was like, I was just like, screw this mental chatter. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, we'll find yeah. out. It'll be fine. Yeah. I know enough. I think for me, when I first came in, I really went like guns blazing. I was working on a study. I was doing a lot of IC work. And then I, I hired someone on the team pretty quickly, pretty shortly after. 
and it switched really quick from IC to manager. Right now, what I'm really personally dealing with is I love research. Like I love, I get energy out of doing research and now it's switching to, I had always done coaching other people to do research, but that's becoming more of the percentage of my time and just making peace with that, honestly, being okay with that. I'm always going to do research in some way. And then also just, I think JH, we talked about this the other day actually is when I was in IC, I was often reporting into a VP of product or working with a director of marketing. And for me, I'm just like, wait, what do I have autonomy over? <laughs> like I have the vision. I'm aligning with my peers on the leadership team now. Wow. And that's like a, a mental habit, new behaviors that take a long time to, to learn. So that's been something that's really new too. Yeah, it's funny. I know the case you're talking about. There was a, Roberta was thinking through this uh, next stuff on insight management stuff and was planning all these like, you know, we should go touch people, base these people and stuff. And I was kind of just like, Roberta, I think you can just make this decision. Like, this is just your, <laughs> this is your call. Like, just yeah. decide. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's been, I feel really grateful for like the partnerships with you and Aaron that you guys can call me out on that and be like, no, Roberta, you can go. Yeah. And so it's like, I don't have to do as much. <laughs> I still have to do. <laughs> I'm just like, like fast, better decisions. Just ask Jade and Aaron. We'll, we'll never say you're wrong. You'll uh, always well, make the right decision that yeah, way. Except for, yeah. <laughs> So true. Yeah. Cool. Well, we're going to have you back, ho hopefully a bunch of times, and we'll get a cadence and kind of groove for that. And that'll be a lot of fun. But what did we not ask you, Roberta, that you're excited to kind of share this initial go around? Yeah, I think like we're end of the year. So yeah, what's next for the future of research? One thing I've been thinking a lot about is, and I've been hearing about it more in the industry is like ethical research. And we're in such a unique spot as a research platform, as a research company, we're building up things like informed consent internally. And that's something that gets me, I'm really passionate about, excited about. And I think we, as user interviews, can really kind of showcase the things that we're working on and be a thought leader there. So that's something that I'm really excited about as yeah. we head into 2022. We have the best lawyer too. Just a plug we to do. Amy who makes it fun to work on that kind of stuff with. We together. do. So, we do. Love a growth lawyer. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Is there, um, to flip it around a little, since you are a researcher and you usually ask questions and you're a fan of the podcast, anything that you'd want to ask Aaron and I put us on the hot seat a little bit? Ooh, that's a good question. Can't tell a lie. What has been, you've talked to so many researchers and you've been with the team for so long too. I'm curious. What's been the biggest change that you've witnessed since starting the podcast? And like At user interviews in the yeah. industry? Yeah, yeah. At, yeah. Which one? Both? All of that? Hey, generative question. <laughs> <laughs> the pandemic, I mean, was a thing, you know? Yeah, is a thing. Yeah. <laughs> is a thing. That was like kind of the midway point for me. You know, it's been four years here and almost yeah. two years ago. So that that was a... A bitter, well, it was a bitter, it was terrible. The pandemic's terrible, full stop. However, you know, it's interesting as it has been for a lot of SaaS companies where it also correlated with a lot of business growth. So, you know, the last two years have been very interesting in that regard. Obviously, the industry is maturing. I don't think anyone would argue that. I mean, we were just talking about how we're like getting calls to talk about UX research from, you know, expert networks and things like that. Definitely growing. So, that's where you want to be. You want to be part of a, a growth industry. 
And to your point, Roberta, that growth is not just happening in terms of revenue, but it's happening in terms of ethics and accessibility and some really great things that are actually good for society. So those are some things come to mind. How about you, James? Yeah. I mean, the biggest one that's like the clearest intersection of the two of like the team and the podcast is as the podcast has become more well-known and as we've been hiring more, it is cool to hear it come up when you talk to candidates, like people mention like rep, like especially for product roles and, and research stuff of, oh, I'm a fan of the blog or I've listened to some of the podcasts and stuff, which has been a really cool, weird moment. I'm sure some of it is just candidates sucking up, which is probably a smart move, but it, it, it's, it's like, been, oh, it's, yeah, always your favorite episode. So yeah, describe yeah. it in uh, detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it is fun to hear that. And like, it's a cool moment that is very much at the intersection of what you just asked about. I think early on when we started this, I had a little bit of a question of how much of the podcast needs to be like, kind of researchy like do we have to ask questions a certain way and stuff or kind of be mm -hmm. more kind of like free rolling and conversational and I think we've kind of leaned into the latter and, and felt comfortable with that which I think is, has served us well but early on there and, and similar for me I think very early on a little bit of like imposter syndrome that you're describing you described earlier Roberta of you know I'm not a researcher by trade or training I've done it in various capacities to, to move product things forward and feel like I'm not bad at it but I wouldn't call myself a great at it and, you know, then we start having these guests on that are really well known in the research mm -hmm. world, like Erica Hall or somebody we had on early, who's like literally written a book about <laughs> doing research and, and how to do that stuff. You know, am I going to ask dumb questions? Am I going to do this and that? And I think like having done this long enough now and talking to some people, like you feel like some fluency. Okay. Like I guess to lean on the music thing, since we're in a music <laughs> analogy today, like, you know, I'm not in the band. I can't play instruments. I'm not like a real researcher, but I've hung around with the band so much now that I feel like you know, I know how to talk to these people and do this stuff. And, and that's been a cool evolution for me personally. Mm -hmm. And I think it's helped the team in ways too. Yeah. I kind of want to check there. You say you're not a real researcher. I often tell people that research is about holding space for people's lived experiences. And like on one end, there is the rigorous, like, what's the method? What are the questions? How are we doing this? And then there's also the continuous interviews, passive research, insights. You are a real researcher. I think everyone is a re researcher in some way. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I guess the point is, and I appreciate that. I, I guess I'm not like I'm not like a researcher's researcher. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, like <laughs> I don't in, think I, I'm a researcher's researcher. <laughs> I don't know. Getting, like, you know, yeah. I, I'm not a developer, but that doesn't stop yeah. me from making like pull requests. I'm not a designer, but I've yeah. made mocks and prototypes. You know what I mean? Like, I, I will sure. do these things in necessity to like move product stuff forward. That's but it. I'm just trying to acknowledge the fact that like. I'm not actively trying to get better at that craft the way that like somebody who's doing it full time, yeah. even though like you might have some fluency. You know, there's only so many UX research podcasts out there, which is good, good for us. But I think they each have something unique to offer to the yeah. UX research podcast niche. And so, for example, there's like the Mixed Methods podcast, which is excellent, which is hosted by a UX researcher. Uh, I, you know, it's not better or worse. It's different. And I think it's, I don't know, I like to think hopefully we can add some value by being more the beginner's mindset where we know just For enough sure. to ask hopefully not totally stupid questions, <laughs> but um, also are not the experts. And I think they're both totally valid approaches. Um, For sure. But I certainly learn a lot from our guests. So that's been a lot of For fun sure. for me. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Roberta, we'll talk again. It will probably be next year when you hear this, but I really don't know. Well, it will be this year, whatever year that is. It's a relative thing. In any case, thanks, Roberta. Yeah, and thank you. Uh, talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Awkward Silences, brought to you by User Interviews. Theme music by Fragile Gang. Editing and sound production by Carrie Boyd. <laughs>